0: You're listening to The Hoof of the Horse, a podcast dedicated to farriery and equine science with Dr. Simon Curtis. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Hoof Care Essentials Foundation and their partners, Lessiter Media.
1: I've just come down to Melbourne in Australia from Singapore. And for those of you that imagine that Australia is always hot and sunny, uh, you need to come in the middle of winter to Melbourne, which is almost the southernmost part of mainland Australia. Uh, But I've had the chance to catch up with my old pal, Peter Strafford, and I've been hosted by him, and we're going to have a chat. Hello, Peter. How are you? Good, Simon. How are you? No, I'm I'm well. All the better for for being here and being fed and watered by you and your lovely wife and and looked after as always. Really well. Thank you. Yeah. Now I think the first time we met was at the Bain Fallon conference, which I think was in Sydney. Yeah, Raymond Rice course. And I can't remember when, late 80s or early 90s, something like that. Yeah, I'm not quite sure of the, of the date myself, but it's at least 20. Five years yeah. ago, there and I of have. course, uh, because of the distance, that probably means we only meet about once every five years yeah. <laughs> on average. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but we catch up, anyway. Um, the first thing you invited me to see this morning was uh Caulfield, uh, the old training center. Which I believe, sadly, although the racetrack's going to keep going, the um, the training center training
0: yet. will cease here in five years. Uh, Been given notice, land
1: properties too valuable, yeah. Yeah,
0: development uh, in the city is uh, more valuable than keeping horses in training at Caulfield. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's... I think that's a trend throughout the world. It, it is does. a
1: trend. It is a trend. That, um, yeah, as we know, the most valuable thing in, in this world is mm. land where where you can build on. All right, what I'd like you to do is just tell us something about Melbourne, Victoria. Well... Um... Melbourne Victoria is very similar to um,
0: for those that have been to England, I mean it was built from the stone masons and the tradesmen of the day back uh, when they all migrated to Australia and, and government house, uh, the treasury and a lot of the city buildings, you'd, you'd swear you're walking down a street in, in London, uh, it's very similar. That's the old part and of course then there's modern Melbourne which is a modern city like uh, to rival any of the other major cities in the world it's modern and it's um it's clean it's very desirable to live here um, plenty of open spaces we're the garden state or we used to be known as the garden state there's lots of parks and gardens and i think we're best probably known as uh sporting capital of the world i mean we're just mad on sport aren't we with the tennis yeah. centers and the the Melbourne Cricket Ground and AFL football and of course, you know, the race that stops the nation, the Melbourne Cup.
1: Yeah, well, we're going to talk about the Melbourne Cup later and of course we've had great times at the Melbourne Cup. Um, But how did you first become a farrier?
0: I used to uh, hold horses for when I was a schoolboy. I I had a horse at the age of 13 and the farrier uh, just up the road, Used to pass his house on the way to school on my push bike, and anyway, um, once I bought, my parents bought me a horse, I um, watched watched him show it, and I was intrigued about, you know, just the mystique of of a farrier. And um, anyway, I used to go with him after school and hold horses for him, and then later on, mow his lawns um, to part pay for the shoes on my own horse, and. Anyway, when you're, you're not serious about school, you've got to think about work, going to work. And um, my father was hugely big on education. And um, one of five children that um, didn't finish my high school certificate. And to, to his dismay, um, I said I wouldn't be going back to, to school next year. And he said, well, you've been on holidays for six weeks. Have you looked for a job? I said, no, I haven't. He said, oh, we will hop in the car. We better better head down to Flemington and see if we can't get you a job. And anyway, we were lucky, um, walked into a forge down there. And uh, the young guy had just taken over a, the business from a retiring farrier. And um, he said, gee, you're tall, son. He said, you, yeah, I said, I'm six foot and I was skinny like a bean pole." And um, anyway, he gave me a. A start, he said, Well, you can come with me now if you like. And I thought, mm, Gee, that's a bit sudden, but anyway, I started the following Monday. And um, what is it, 45 years later, still shoeing <laughs> horses?
1: Yeah, you are. And um, so, so, what type of horses did you originally shoe?
0: Yeah, well, um, you know, being at Flemington, everyone thinks, Oh, well, you, you shot. I, uh, I should uh, expect uh, that is the home of the Melbourne. Yeah, cup. Flemington is how our premier race course here in australia known best for the melbourne cup but um, we shot all classes of horses and and in particular the uh, the working horses horses that delivered bread and milk um, were still going uh, even though they were in in their last phase of of the working horses Um, but yeah we we made on coke forges handmade shoes every morning and and shot milk mainly milk cart horses and also the famous CUB Carlton United Brewery team horses that, um, that are well known for their parades and shows uh, that they attended and um, council horses so um, f- for the first for the five years of my apprenticeship on a nearly a daily basis we of course would would shoe horses that pulled milk carts and the, and the brewery horses that um, beer lorries and um, so your
1: apprenticeship started at the end of that era where horses were still working.
0: Yeah, the, the last of them were well, lasted they lasted 10 years. I, I shot uh, when I went into business um, five years later, I, I shot working horses for another five years. But from 1972, when I started my apprenticeship, to 1982, that was the last of the working horses except for the the show teams uh that were some privately owned by the married family market gardeners and um and cub for their promotion of beer and uh fosters i think people know about fosters beer everybody in the world knows about fosters they fosterize the world but anyway (laughs) to be quite honest um simon i i owe my whole trade to to one of those brewery horses and why is that well we were used to going out to the dairies and shoeing the the milk cart horses that pu- pulled the milk lorries and um but the brewery horses uh came to the shop and um and uh they were hot shod and um I struggled to get the back shoes off of foster and um they, they were big heavy old horses but i I could barely even find the clinches, which is the nails turned over and and uh, I, my legs went to jelly, and I got out from under the horse and sat on the Coke bags, and the boss said, uh, have you got those shoes off? I said, no, I can't get them off. He said, oh, I'll just put your tools over there. And so I put my tools over there, and a few minutes passed, and I said, now what? He said, well, just take your open off and go. I said, go where? He said, well, if you if you give up now. He said, no good going on. I said, I said I'll hurry up. So I got back under that horse, and that was Foster. They were named
1: after the (laughs) bees, Foster, Lager, Abbott and Vic. And, um... Sorry, so you're not the only farrier in this world that owes his career to Foster's then? No. But you you genuinely do. Well, (laughs) as
0: a farrier, yes, because (laughs) I I managed to uh, get his back shoes off. Yeah. But you know how tight um, heavy horseshoeing is when the hot shot burnt to the foot and uh, micro finished with beautiful clinches and and things that the first time I'd seen it anyway and so I
1: struggled through and um, consequently I'm still a farrier today. Well, that's a great story and I never knew that story from you. I knew I knew you started with some heavy horses, but so your career progressed and. Actually, you ended up with a really important role with Racing Victoria. And for people that don't know, Mm. Racing Victoria controls more racing than, for example, the whole of the United States, doesn't it? There's more actual races under its control. It's the second richest racing club in the world, apart from the Japanese Racing Authority. So it is huge. Sure. And, And you ended up, as the one farrier employed there and I just wondered how that came about. Okay, well the uh, the farriers in
0: racing were under the, the veterinary department at the VRC, the Victoria Racing Club back then and uh, there's a veterinarian who was the farrier supervisor and he used to license the farriers and look after the apprenticeship system and um, send out the, the paperwork and um, anyway 20 years in, into the, the trade, I started as the race day farrier. At first, I was, I was uh, the sort of understudy for the, the main farrier, Ernie Shingfield, and when he went on holidays, I'd fill in for him. And on his retirement, I was um, asked if I'd like to continue um, as the race day farrier at the four metropolitan race meetings, which is Flemington, Caulfield, Mooney Valley and Sandown. So, I did that, and unfortunately I had a bit of a, a, a hitch with my health, with my heart. I, I suffered a heart attack, and um, I was At what age? About 41, yeah, I was. Yeah, that's, that's young enough. And um, I thought, geez, this is, this is pretty confronting, and um, the advice was, look, you know, probably best not to be shooting horses, have horses pull you around. and. So I was talking to the, um, to the vet about my future, what, what I was going to do, and he suggested that um, on his retirement, the following year, I could join the VRC and they would employ me uh, full, as a full-time employee. And my job as the farrier supervisor then was to um, oversee the licensing of farriers in racing, to pay uh, wage subsidies to apprentices, and to promote and uh, that we had enough farriers in racing, because as you know, farriers shoe horses, not necessarily race horses. You know, there's a hundred jumpers and the dressage horses and the private owned horses. So, of course, um, we had to attract good farriers. Uh, race horses in in Australia are the most expensive horses we have. So we wanted to ensure we had a group of well-credentialed and well-trained farriers in racing. So that was successful for many years and still is today. There's a large number of good farriers that um, are involved in shoeing racehorses and um, I'm not sure what the situation is in other countries but the majority of our apprentice farriers come through racing stables purely because they've got the numbers the studs the racing stables I mean if you go and shoe for a private individual with one or two horses well you know you need a lot of those clients with one or two horses to make a business and particularly if you're going to employ an apprentice but in racing you can, in my day back in the early 70s uh, a big stable was 20 to 30 today it's 100 or 150 horses per stable so the numbers have multiplied to i think we had when i was the ferry supervisor 9000 horses registered racing in victoria not in australia in victoria yeah. but when i started there were less than 3 in the 70s there was around 3000 horses but, racing to but,
1: put it in perspective so 9000 yeah, 9, is about the number of race horses either racing in Ireland or racing in the UK. Okay. Yeah. Well. So, so the state of Victoria—that's what I mean. Victoria. I don't think people realise just how big racing is well, in Australia. It's 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 a huge, huge industry, isn't it? Yeah. Well, we have um,
0: we have uh, about forty odd racecourses, so just in Victoria. Yeah. You know, and we're the smallest state on the mainland, apart from Tasmania. Yeah. I mean, in UK standards, I guess we're the size of the UK. You're about the size of the yeah. UK. But, um And area with surface. a population
1: of five or six million people. Am I under? Yeah, 100? yeah, yeah. Yeah, this, so, yeah. So a tenth of the population yeah. of the UK on an area the size of the UK. Yeah. And, and to put it into perspective, um, it's a sixtieth of the size of the population of the United States. Well, I think that's why people are attracted. There's plenty of room here. There's still plenty of room, although yeah. they do seem to be extending the city uh, oh, for sure. acreage day by day. So anyway, you had this great job with uh, Racing Victoria mm-hmm. and uh, a unique, and you know, the word unique is used too much in the world, but your job was unique. And there, there's no other racing authority I knew that employed a farrier to look after farriery matters. And and for me that was that was really impressive, um, and you, you had quite a wide sphere, but you had some very imp- important things that you had to do. But it also gave you the opportunity to travel, didn't it? Sure, that was one one of the the great
0: um, aspects of the job is that the, the racing authorities, um, whether they were manager, managers or stewards, they interacted with um, other clubs in other countries and. Uh, and the vets as well were going to seminars and, and I was encouraged to undertake travel and, and get involved and see what other people were doing in other parts of the world, like in England and Ireland and Dubai, Singapore, Malaysia, just just to name a few of the places I've traveled. Just see what they were doing and if, if we were heading in the right direction or you know if there's things we needed to improve on, and there were things we needed to improve on. We needed to improve on our formal education of farriers through apprenticeships. So we, um, we made it mandatory that if you wanted to be a certified farrier in racing, you had to successfully complete a four-year apprenticeship with a certification so that you could legally, under the rules of racing, shoot
1: racehorses. Yeah, and that, that obviously, from shall we say... You know, we have legal registration in the UK, but although it's not across the whole of Australia, the actual, shall we say, the economic impulse of saying to people, you can only shoe in this very, very rich economically environment, Uh, you can only shoe if you have the right qualifications, had a big impact, didn't it, on on the training of farriers, certainly in the state of Victoria. Sure. uh, People that are successful in life work hard,
0: and and they like quality, and they like things that are well made. Like you see, doctors drive a Mercedes, just just to mention. You know, you know, professional people, and some people buy race horses that cost two or three Mercedes, mm. and who's gonna who's gonna look after their horses' feet? I mean, horses can be lost to racing through a. A uh, foot problem, and you've got to you've got to have fairs that know how to sort those things out and keep them in training, keep them in racing. Otherwise, there's a lot of money lost for those owners. So it's important that you know if you if you had a uh, a good quality car, you wouldn't go down the local garage and ask him to put the petrol in and tune it up, would you? So it's the same in racing. You you look for the specialist, the guy that's that, that's properly qualified and can do the job professionally and has the right attitude and the right... um, Well, the right technical
1: skills. Yeah, the
0: right skills to to complete the job successfully.
1: Now, I couldn't come here to the state of Victoria and to the city of Melbourne without talking about the second greatest race race in the world behind the Epsom Derby. And that, of course, is the Melbourne Cup, Mm -hmm. which I had the great opportunity to see because of your invitation, but just tell us something about the Melbourne Cup and why it's such a great race. Well, of course, the Melbourne Cup um, in in the day, in the early days,
0: there were two or three interests for for people um, in their spare time. One was racing, people followed racing, people followed sport, they followed football and cricket and they tended to football, they tended to cricket, they tended the racing, but the Melbourne Cup, a uh, handicap race over two mile, was a spectacle, and they really liked to have a bet. Those people, those Australians that, that never had a bet any other time of the year, would like to have a little flutter on the Melbourne Cup, and um, the whole of Australia was embraced by. Well, what the, is the it Melbourne called? Cup.
1: It's the race that stops
0: the nation. Yeah. So it didn't matter if you're in mining in in uh, Broome in in Western Australia or whether you're up in the Northern Territory uh, as a stockman, they'd all try and rush back to the shearing sheds or the stockyards or the, the homestead to listen to the Melbourne Cup. You know, that was a big feature in people's life back then. And then they'd look at if they were in a sweep or if they had a a winning chance, you know, whether, whether they'd pick the winner or out of a hat or whether they'd got second or third. And of course, you know, if they were lucky enough to... Have a place or a win, then yeah, they felt great. They they were getting some some money back.
1: Yeah, I I I would recommend it to anybody. And and the thing that that got me is when I came for the Melbourne Cup with you, you said, let's go and have a look around the car park. And I said, why? Well, the car park holds I don't know sixty thousand people, a hundred thousand people who can't get into the race. But they've got the barbecues out yeah and they're having a party yeah and it's become such a thing that the racing authorities put the big screens up for them don't they sure so they can't quite get on the racetrack but it, it's stood they're still part of the party aren't they
0: yeah well you know some of those people that um 10 flemington whether they come by train or whether they come by taxi or whether they drive their rolls royce um some of them don't even see the race; they just have a, a party and listen to to the race, and and they get very excited. and And then there's the others the the, uh, the, the younger set that like to dress up, and um, particularly the the girls they love wearing uh, high heels and fashionable hats. and So it's it's good for the economy of Victoria because you know whether whether they're getting their hair done or buying makeup or buying shoes or buying hats and young men buying suits. I mean, it's a real economical boost to, to Australia and particularly Victoria, apart from those that invest in buying yearlings and and uh, horse uh, racehorse owners and uh, purists and, and love racing. But, uh, you know, yeah, it's something for everyone time. at the Melbourne
1: yeah, Cup. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful time. One of the best days of my life, Yeah, Peter, was uh, attending the Melbourne Cup with you. Yeah, uh, And, be- of course, before the Melbourne Cup, uh, I went with you when you plated some of the runners. So the first thing I'm going to ask you is, I know you've plated at least one winner of the Melbourne Cup. Have you plated more than one?
0: Yeah, uh, I think there's four in total, four, four. Four, four internationals, actually. The first was Dermot Wells Horse so Vintage Crop. There were two horses that came, uh, the first internationals. There was Dermot's horse Vintage Crop, and there was um, Lord Huntingdon's horse uh, was Drum Taps, the English horse, and he was all the rage actually in the in the day-to-day newspapers. But um, anyway, the Irish horse was victorious, and um, since since those days, I mean, every year the the numbers increase, uh, the visiting horses. Not just I've
1: got a picture of you playing his second winner. Yeah. Media puzzle. I'm going to fish it out and I'm going to put it up a- yeah. in conjunction with this uh, with this podcast. I'll make sure people can see it because uh, I actually took a picture of you plating the winner. I think you're clenching it up. Yeah. If I remember rightly, you've forgotten I took that picture. Yeah,
0: I I'd have But yes. I'll
1: I'll not only put it up, but I'll send you a copy. Well, you know, um, there was there was a uh, a bit of. Um,
0: Things happened around Media Puzzle because Damien Oliver was Damien Oliver, who was to ride Media Puzzle. Unfortunately, his brother had died in a racing accident only a week or so before. So the press and everyone, the trainer himself, thought, "Well, is he going to ride it? Is he grieving? Is he is he up to the job? Will he will he take the ride?" Oh, yeah. And a lot of conjecture. And anyway, he um, he took the ride and history shows he was successful the horse won the melbourne cup and he uh, punched his fist to the air to say you know jason this is for you this is for my brother and, and i'm glad i rode the horse and then, your honor I, I salute you he yeah. said so my brother was with me on that ride
1: and and okay so that that's a wonderful story but the <laughs> other thing i wanted to say is that i hope the traditions continued but i think you were one of the Agents for doing it, but the farriers that plate the Melbourne Cup have their name put on a roll of honour, don't they? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. We we started that some years ago um,
0: because everybody knows who, who the owners are, who the breeders were, who the trainer was, who the jockey was, and and um, it's it's a bit of a folklore and uh, the Melbourne Cup, and I thought. Farious, you know, they're, they're the guys that have to manage the feet. They're the guys that have to be there of a morning. And, you know, you know it's like preparing a horse's feet. And and, yeah, and they plate. worry about it just as much well, course, as the yeah, owners, the trainers. And, yeah, because, and people don't realise that, do they? You though? know, thoroughbreds, they can kick a plate off uh, any time they like. They're, they're highly strung. And, and the person that's uh, engaged to shoe the horses in the Melbourne Cup... They take it very seriously, and um, no one likes to lose a plate, particularly in, a, in any race or at any race meeting, but they don't like it. Not in the big races. In, in, a, in a, such a prestige mm. race. And so uh, we started the honour board, and we researched uh, the record books, and it goes right back to um, carbine uh we knew who the farrier was through through the history of farriers and also far lap 1930 mm. he won uh, the cup with a huge weight in the years of the depression
1: probably still the most famous winner of
0: the melbourne and cup. then continuously we know all the farriers for the last 50 years and we've put their name alongside the horse's name as the farrier for the melbourne
1: cup winner and that continues to this day does it yes well that's excellent and i you know, that, that, that's the only place I know that this happens. I know the Epsom Derby, the Kentucky Derby, that doesn't happen. But the Melbourne Cup, the farrier goes alongside the winner. Yeah. And I've seen the room where it's put up and it's, it's a marvellous record uh, of, for the farriers that are involved with it. As I say, you've been involved both with um, Racing Victoria and the second most famous race in the world. <laughs> so after racing Victoria because about 10 years ago you finished with racing Victoria but you always had an interest in coaching I should say coaching horses not coaching people <laughs> which you've done for a long time and you took me to the most marvellous uh, place today where there was a great collection of coach horses and you shod Clydesdale so that's that's the, almost the opposite end of the scale to the, to the racehorse but yeah. it's a big interest of yours isn't it
0: yeah, look, I've, I've I learned to shoot heavy workhorses uh, when I first started as an apprentice, and I've, I've still got the love of uh, heavy horses and showing them um, in harness in lorries and uh, bakers' carts, milk carts. And... So I've bought myself a Clydesdale, and I intend I've entered him for the Royal Adelaide Show and the Royal Melbourne Show this year. So I hope to be successful. He, he's a nice horse. He's well a well-bred horse, very very uh, very correct. Style. Um, he's quite green at the moment, though. Isn't he's, he? Yeah, well, I've got about um, <laughs> I've got about eight weeks to prepare him. And uh, you actually told
1: me as soon as you get rid of me, you're going to start being you know, yeah. able put some well, time well, into it. Well,
0: you know, he had his, he's only six years old. He had his first set of shoes. No, I,
1: I, I'm going to I'm going to put a picture up of you. Yeah. putting uh, well, a shoe on him. He was well behaved, wasn't he? He was perfect. Yeah, but he'd, never
0: see, he'd never seen the smoke off his foot before and the hot shoe No, he he stood as good and, as gold uh, and I yeah. think
1: all of us would like um, a horse being shot for the first time. It'd be more farriers. <laughs> yeah, but we'd earn less money, Peter. So yeah. Oh, but... We need a few to play out, but not our own horses. So so this is your own and yeah. it, it's a big insult for, for a farrier that gets kicked by their own horse, isn't it? So... <laughs> So he stood as good as gold, didn't he? Yeah, but I'll, I'll like... put a picture up if you're doing that. All right, Peter. So now we turn to the deep philosophical question. Oh, I like that? What is it? I would like you to tell me what is the most important thing you have learned in your life.
0: The most important thing I've learned in my life, is that um, you know, it's not it's not hard when you get to uh, into your mid 60s. The most important thing is family.
1: Family, to me, is the
0: most
1: important thing. Yeah. Good. As you say, that that um, I like to think you're in your early 60s, Peter, rather than your mid-60s. Yeah, well, no, I, I am, but... I'll... <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, it's a very simple but a pertinent answer, so thank you for that. Now, Peter, we have covered quite a bit, and um, I'm really grateful for both you hosting me in my trip down here to... Victoria and Melbourne, going out with your showing and all the stuff in the past, uh, but particularly I'd like to thank you for sharing your knowledge in this podcast. So thank you very much, Peter. Thanks, Simon. You're great company,
0: and um, you're always willing to impart knowledge uh, of uh, things that you've been involved in and, and your travels. So uh, it's it's great to have you here, and uh, you know we enjoy each other's company and talking about the profession of farriers and. Uh, Things we've done and things we've yet to do. And um, so, uh, yeah, All right. let's keep going. All right, mate. We'll have another
1: glass of wine, shall we?
0: Why not? Thank you. We'd like to thank Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partners for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more information at
1: hoofcareessentials.com.
0: You can follow more of Simon's work on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Simon Curtis. To get in contact, please email thehoofofthehorse at gmail.com. And for everything else, go to drsimoncurtis.com. Thanks for listening.